Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward, Rick Barry. Behind the end line, they burn him again, and it's Barry. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. Hi everybody, Rick Barry here for Warriors 24, along with my sidekick, Cyrus Satch, just the surf man himself, and I'm still working on trying to get him to get my son Brent on one of the <laughs> podcasts to talk surfing, which I could never do, and I think I told you the story that I'm on my honeymoon many, 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 many years ago in Hawaii, I tried to do surfing, and it was ridiculous, I couldn't do it, I was so frustrated, my breasts got raw, the nipples, because I didn't have a shirt on from the board paddling, <laughs> and I'm walking off the beach and the, some of the Hawaiian guys are laughing. And I said, what are you guys laughing at? He says, you, man. He said, you can't surf on that board. It's too small for you. And I said, <laughs> oh, great. Thanks a lot for telling me. Why don't you tell me that two hours ago? <laughs> so That's anyway, amazing. that was my experience with surfing. Yeah, Rick, I would love to get Brent on at some point. What, do, Rick, what is Brent doing right now with teams just basically out of commission? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I, he's he's living his life doing doing what he has to do, and uh, I I don't know what he's doing back there. I mean I don't I don't I'm not like my wife who not not his mother but my wife who asks nine million questions whenever she <laughs> tries to get his yeah. life story and everything. I figure if he has something to tell me, he'll tell me. I mean, <laughs> if something I'm really truly interested in, then I really ask him. And the reality of it is how important is it for me to try to find out what he's doing right now just to have conversation? I mean, I'd rather talk about something more meaningful. Right. I, I feel about, like, what are you doing now that nothing's happening? <laughs> no, I feel like you're, you're perfectly exemplifying the difference between a father and a mother right there. That's those are dads and moms for you. Exactly. Right. Uh, but it's yeah. a time, but at least I guess some of these States are finally cutting back on the restrictions. And I guess the NBA said in those States, they're going to open up practice or training facilities for the players. Uh, so that can be a good thing for them to get them back into thinking about playing. But I think they have to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to actually have a playoff or what they're going to do. Or are they just going to just say, Hey, this season's over and enjoy the rest of your time and have a good summer and move on from here. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what the decision is. I mean, I mean, so the last podcast we had, Peter Vesey came on. That was a great podcast, by the way. It was such a, a pleasure listening to you too. Um, but he, he did bring up that interesting point that, for the record, I haven't read this anywhere else. I haven't seen any other media members report the fact that July 1st is basically the hard deadline because of free agency. And they, if they're going to make this happen, they got to start soon, right? I mean, forget the regular season's done. I mean, I think it's like anything else. I mean, they postponed the Olympics. They postponed this, but postponed that. All they'll do is just push that date back. But they can't push it back beyond July 1st. That's Why? the crazy part. Because, because as, as Peter Vesey said in that podcast, free agency starts on July 1st. And you have a lot of players who are going to be free agents who don't want to jeopardize their health or play without a contract. Right. So I think the collective bargaining agreement is going to get in the way of that. Like players will not be allowed to play beyond July 1st because that's when contracts are renewed and new terms begin. Or maybe some players won't have contracts, period. Oh, but they still have time if they if this things, these things get lifted to have it. And then maybe they just cut it back to best of three series. Yes. 
I, that's what I'm hoping for. They have a best of seven or best of five and then have a best of seven and look at the dates and still try to conform to that July 1st thing if it's that important. And if the Players Association won't agree to let it be pushed back a couple of weeks or whatever it may be, yeah. I mean, they could certainly come to an agreement. As long as both sides come to an agreement and it's mutually acceptable, that shouldn't be a problem. What, what I'm not understanding right now is why the NBA can't make a commitment to playing the playoffs without fans. I, I think at this point, you can implement safety measures. I think the UFC, for example, is going to have a fight uh, in a few weeks. They're not going to have fans, but their, their fighters are going to get tested beforehand. I don't see why you can't do the same thing with the players. Just have the players and coaches tested before they come back. Make sure everyone's clear. Once they come back, make sure they're isolated and run the playoffs. And you're right, like you suggested, maybe make it best of five or maybe reduce the number of teams. Maybe only have the top eight play. But you got to have something. We can't finish the season without a, without a winner. Well, That's crazy. The top, the top four in each conference? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do something. I mean, I mean, don't, don't, don't end this. Obviously, it's just a matter of trying to figure it out. I just, I'm sure they would like to have the fans. But the bottom line is, is that the television ratings would probably still be great because everybody's dying yes. to be able to watch some live sports. Yes. <laughs> Those ratings would be astronomical. There's nothing. Do I don't know, I, but it'd be hard because if you try to do it with a minimal number of fans to do it, well, yeah, well, why should that fan get to go if I shouldn't just because I didn't get a better seat? I mean, it, it would be a nightmare. And then trying, trying to be able to fill an arena and have everybody go through some kind of a screening process. No, you don't do that, Rick. No, that's the thing you no, Rick, you don't do that. No, I, I think, I think the concept of having fans is a foregone conclusion. There's, you can't do that. It, there's just not enough time. There's not enough regulation, but why not just hold these games without fans? Just have the teams have well, a minimal LeBron, coaching. LeBron said he wouldn't do that. <laughs> who, who, I, well, yeah, but I, I, that was early on. That was at the very beginning of this whole thing. That was before um, Gobert tested positive and all, and the, the you know, the dominoes started to fall after that. They, they have to, you have to, I mean, realistically, I think uh, if you're going to approach this pragmatically and logically fans at sporting events, that's a long-term thing. I, I don't see that coming back anytime soon, but the games themselves, I don't understand why you can't schedule that soon. You know, I hope they do. Would be so bizarre, wouldn't it? I mean, no, a little bit. no, a little bit. I mean, how would they do that? <laughs> would they play music? I mean, it would be such an incredibly bizarre experience. Wouldn't uh. it? I mean, it would be like watching, like going to, you know, uh, some sort of asphalt court, just watching players play pickup. You know, there's nobody cheering there. And it would be weird. You're right. It would be unusual, but I'd still rather see that than nothing. You know, um, I, you know, you know, what's really funny, too, is uh, we'd hear the players, you know, the, the, the fans drown out a lot of what the players say during the middle of a game. It could be really bad. They'd have to be X-rated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> be a lot of bloopers. A lot of bloops. They probably wouldn't have to, they, you know, have to cut back on the microphones. I mean, because, my God, if you started to hear everything the guys are saying on the court, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'd have to broadcast it on cable. <laughs> Pick it, it up on Netflix or uh, you know, Amazon Prime. <laughs> Something I know. Have you been so so the the big thing in sports, Rick, and this, and I and I'm I'm glad we're doing this right now because I wanted to ask you so many questions. Is I mean that the central focus in sports is the Last Dance, this documentary that's been airing on ESPN. I guess the first question is, have you been watching it? Yeah, definitely have watched it. Yeah, without question. I just you know was watching as they come on. You know, it's the part of that Dennis Rodman needed to have a 48 hour vacation. Amazing. Amazing. I, I guess, yeah, what are your, so what, what's your initial feedback from this? I mean, you're one of the all-time greats. I mean, you're watching 
true greatness on the TV right now as they're documenting one of the all-time teams. Yeah, to tell me your feedback, please. It's very interesting to see what was going on uh, and, and how people responded to it and then to see the guys today sitting there commenting about it. And what a brilliant idea for somebody to come up with being able to put all of this in a, in, in a, in a uh, format that, that, that people could enjoy taking a look at this now. I mean, this is pretty special. It really it is. is. I mean, it was really a great idea on someone's part. And the fact that the team gave them that kind of access, as it turns out, who would have thought that it would be, the ratings on the show have got to have been off the, off the charts. I haven't taken a look and seen all that, but it has I to did. They're, they're averaging, they're, they're averaging just from live viewing. They're averaging nearly 6 million views per show. Yeah. Which is good ratings for, for ESPN, for a documentary that is, that is phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and it, it is fascinating. You're right. They, they, the fact that they gave the green light to actually bring camera crews into the locker room and to follow the team for the whole year I mean, what's equally impressive to me is all the footage and knowledge they have before then. I mean, I mean, we, we're learning about Jordan's upbringing. We're learning about Pippen's upbringing, Rodman, Phil Jackson. I think those are the four they're focused on the even, most. Even what they did prior to getting to this point for the, you know, for the last season that, the, that Phil was going to be there, they had a lot of great stuff. Although I did pick up on something that you noticed there was a very bad edit. Which one? Well, the edit that they had last time when I was watching, I said to my wife, it just popped out at me. I said, oh, that's a bad edit. Who the heck looked at that? They had an edit doing stuff and it was talking about when Doug Collins was playing and they did stuffing and they had a cut to a footage and stuff and Michael was walking by and everything. It was Phil Jackson who was there, Pat. <laughs> Should have been Doug Collins. What is your, you know, uh, what is your relationship with Phil Jackson? I know you two played pretty much at the same time. He well, won Phil his Jackson two champions. We on a tour over to Asia together. Okay. We went after I, we retired. Phil was was our player coach, and Bobby Dandridge is on the tour. And Pete Maravich came over. We had a great time. We went over to Asia and went to tai, Taiwan, and we went to the Philippines. It was great. I mean, we had a good time. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I remember eating at one of the places we ate, and you did you ate with your fingers, and you had a big leaf and all, and you got your food and you put it on there, and you just ate yes. with your fingers out of this leaf, and then you go wash your hands off and. And it was very interesting. In fact, the, the fun part about it was the one game we played against uh, the Taiwanese national team. The officials were so biased. I mean, it was one of the worst homing jobs ever, but we still wound up winning. But one, one time I, I was on the bench, you know, getting arrested and everything, and Pete was, Pete was coming at a, guy, at a defender that mm -hmm. was right there in the corner taking a shot, and the official blew his whistle and called a foul. And I knew he understood English. And I said to him, I said, you know, it probably would have looked a lot better if you let him get just a little bit closer so he might have looked like he could have possibly hit him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I said to Phil, I said, Phil, look, let me, they're playing a 2-1-2. Two, two. I said, let me play point. I said, Pete, you just, because I was taller, taller than Pete. And so I said, look, I'm going to come down and I'm gonna go slow. And then I'm just going to go fast and I'm going to split the two guys at the top. And so I said, just pick one side or the other, Pete, and just go, and I'm, I'll just drop it to you, and you just go right in the slot. So I think I had 16 assists in the game, and I think 14 of them were to Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete Maravich is a fascinating uh, individual because he passed away before I knew anything about basketball. It was shortly after I was born. 
I mean, can you describe his greatness for those who never actually watched him? Like, I mean, because people who actually saw him play say he was one of the all-time greats in terms of ball handling, playmaking. I mean, ball can you handling just... and passing and, and scoring stuff. Uh, you know, he's he's about as good as you can get. I mean, he just mm. did spectacular things. I mean, the things they've had documentaries and stuff about him. His father going, he would dribble the ball as the car was going outside, and just could do amazing things with the basketball. And um, and and he was he was kind of like a Harlem Globetrotter, you know, with the, the, the antics he could do with the, and the stuff he could do with the basketball. He was far and away the most prolific ball handler that I had seen to that time. Um, so just amazing stuff that he did and he could really score. I mean, he averaged what 44 points a game in college, I think at one point, Wow, I think it was 44. Wow. And that's with, and, and I don't, I don't I'm trying to, I, and he didn't have the three point shot. That's amazing. You know, I mean, so, yeah, he was pretty pretty amazing. But here's the problem is, is that he never – I don't think he ever played on the right team in the pros hmm. where they could really utilize his talents and his skills as to, to, to their fullest and, and have complementary players. He needed to play with guys who were really smart, knew how to move without the basketball. Because, man, I tell you what, you get open and he'll, he'll find a way to get you the basketball. He really was pretty spectacular with that. But, you know, he could shoot it, go to the basket, yeah, very exciting player to watch, no question about it. But the problem is, is that like a lot of players, they talk about that <laughs> that they they don't play very good defense on the other end of the court. Like a lot, but a lot of guys do do that. But mm-hmm. he was not known for that. In fact, Butch Van Bredekoff, who was one of his coaches in the pros, said Pete thinks that defense defense is what you put around the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That reminds me of a quote that Jordan said from the Last Dance documentary where someone said there's no iron team and he replied, yeah, but there's an iron win. It was very interesting. And then, of course, Scotty, you know, holding out for as long as he did. Yeah. And then that was fascinating. That really was. I forgot all about the trade request. That, that really was under the radar. I know they were reporting that, but that last season of the Bulls dynasty – that really was under the radar. The turmoil, the tumult, the the, especially with Jerry uh, Jerry Krause. I mean, yeah. yeah, they 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 did not. A lot of players, especially Michael, didn't have a lot of respect for Jerry Krause, and so Scotty obviously couldn't stand him. Yeah, I don't uh, blame him. A major, a major issue, but uh, yeah, I'm, it's fun, you know, seeing where they're going. I'm just wondering how much and what's going to be in all the other footage because there's still quite a few episodes to go. Six and, more. It's yeah. kind of interesting how they're going back and forth. It'd be interesting to see what else comes about. But the thing that I thought found very interesting was that he, he, when Dennis left to go to Las Vegas, he let him have a camera crew go with him. That that is interesting. You're right. I, I guess they were. I guess they were okay with it because it was under the premise that none of this was going to be released without their permission. And it wasn't for nearly 20 years. You know, going back to Phil Jackson, you know, you were on a podcast, I think a week ago with one of our mutual friends, John Schrader from our KNBR days. And he told me something interesting. He said he asked you what your biggest regret was, and your response was playing, going to the ABA. And my, 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 I guess, and it raised a question. So in this documentary, they, they did one episode on Phil Jackson and his background, and, and I got a great story to tell you about that in a moment. But Phil won two titles with the Knicks in the 70s while you were in the ABA. If you never went to the ABA, would you have more rings, and how differently do you think things would have played out? Yeah, it could have been a whole different story. Um, I mean, we had a heck of a basketball team. We lost, on, I mean, two pick and roll plays go our way instead of the 76ers way. And they both involved Nate Thurman and, and me against Will Chamberlain. And that's how oh. the series was. 
And so we could have had, and if we had all stayed together, we could have had one of the best teams. I mean, it would have been very, very competitive and we would have had a chance to win championships had we stayed together. We had a really good basketball team. And, you know, I mean, I played the finals that year with an ankle that had to get shot before the game and at halftime and still average 40 points a game. What they shoot it with? What they put in your, in your leg? Novocaine. Oh, wow. In fact, I, if I had to do it over, I, that was so stupid on my part. I'm lucky I didn't ruin my career. Yeah. Because it would have been so easy. Something could have happened. I wouldn't have known it. I could have wrecked my ankle forever. Yep. That's crazy. That so I was, crazy. Yeah. I was, I was so fortunate that I didn't do that. But I mean, I just would have liked to have been able to play that series healthy. And then if we had stayed together with Nate Thurman, come on, one of the greatest centers of all time doing it. Jeff Mullins is still young and in his prime. Right. I mean, we had, we had a nice team. I mean, we would have, we would have been contending for championships without question. Oh, that's crazy. You know, um, I want to share this story real quick, if you don't mind, Rick. So about two years ago, I went on a, one of my, my second cross-country road trip. The first one was across the Deep South, and the second one was across the North. And on the way back, I spent up close to a week in Montana. And one of my dreams in this scenario was, I kid you not, I was wishing for one of two things, because two fairly notable um, individuals, prominent individuals call Montana home. And one is David Letterman, the late night talk show host or formerly. And the other one is Phil Jackson. And so I remember I was staying in this town, Whitefish, um, which is kind of near Glacier National Park. And I was telling myself, I just want to run into one of those two. I love the, I love them both. I consider them legends. And sure enough, one day in a coffee shop, there's Phil Jackson, just ran right into him, uh, said a few words to him, just told him, you know, how much I respect his, his talents and, and what he's done for the game. And I also love his Zen approach. I love the fact that he would assign books to players. I love his intellectual um, approach to the game. The fact that he, he took on Tex winners, triangle offense, and that was, was displayed in great detail in the documentary. Um, so yeah, so that, that's my Phil Jackson story. It just, it was just such a random coincidence. The odds of that happening to me were so minuscule. And yet in this little coffee shop, there he is super nice guy too. I didn't take a picture with him, but I, we, 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 we said a few words and that's my Phil story. Do you like Phil? I mean, are you, do, do you respect him? I mean, are you on the same page with him? I know some people don't like him. What are your thoughts on him as a whole? Well, I mean, I had no problem. I got along fine with Phil when we went on the trip and doing things and had respect for him as a player. But I mean, one of the most squared off shoulder guys ever. I mean, yes, <laughs> way the hell out there and just very square across there. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was a very nice player and an outstanding coach. And the, the bottom line is, is that not everybody wins with great talent. And he found a way to take the great talent that he had to coach and got him to win. I mean, so yeah. that's, that's a tribute to him and it's not always easy to do. And the players obviously respected him and the things that he did. And he brought this crazy thing with the Zen stuff and the yoga stuff and mm -hmm. <laughs> very esoteric type of stuff that I think, you know, probably 95% of the players probably were never even exposed to in their life. Right. And, and made it work. And, but understood because if you're a coach, it's almost like it'd be great to be a psychologist in a way because you have to deal, you can't deal with everyone the same way. You can treat everyone fairly, but it doesn't mean you treat everyone the same. Right. There's a big difference between the two. Yes. You know, like I'll give you a great example. Remember Ronnie Cycling? 
Yes, the center. Ron Stikely was from a very wealthy family. His father had tons of money doing stuff. He's always brought up, you know, with a silver spoon in his mouth. The Greek shipping magnet, I believe, right? Yeah, big big time dollars and stuff. But anyway, Ronnie was the kind of guy that you needed to kind of put your arm around and do stuff. And Don Nelson was a screamer. And so everything I heard when he played with the Warriors is that he just hated Donnie because Don would yell and holler and scream at him. Whereas this is a type of guy that you had to understand how they're going to respond. You need to just yes. put your arm around them, talk to them, be nice and everything. Some guys you got to get right in their grill and you got to give them, a, you know, yell at them and scream at them maybe. So you have to know what buttons to push with the guy to get the most out of them. That is true. That is very so, true. And, and so he realized that just like, in fact, he, you know, he would let Dennis go for 48 hours and Michael said, well, I didn't get a vacation. I needed a vacation. <laughs> well, but the thing is he also knew that Michael was such a competitor that Michael didn't need that to go out and compete. Right. Whereas with Dennis obviously needed to have that. And so he gave him those 48 hours, even though it turned out to be a little bit more, like they said. Uh, but it was amazing to read about it, that it made it seem as though that Michael went and got him in Las Vegas, but he didn't. He actually got him out of his apartment in, in Chicago, Chicago which is right across the street from the arena. Yeah, he came back, but he was he was holed up with Carmen Electra, right. his supermodel girlfriend at the time. I saw this great meme, by the way, for all the youngsters, because a lot of young people probably don't even know who Carmen Electra is. And it was just great meme of, of the youngsters Googling Carmen Electra and the reaction from uh, in, the, in these days of quarantine. That's <clears throat> that was incredible. It really was. Love is blind. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> well, you know what's funny too is is Dennis Rodman uh, apparently has a son who is in either finishing up high school or in college, and his son was interviewed and said that he knew everything that was going on in the documentary. Nothing surprised them except for the vacation request. He said his dad never told his kids or kid. I don't know what Rodman Rodman's family uh, situation is, but he was never told about that little vacation and the getaway. And that was news to him. You're right. I mean, Phil Jackson and Chuck Daly to me. I, Chuck Daly to me is one of the most underrated head coaches in basketball history. I still don't think he gets the due he deserves and rest in peace. And I would love your thoughts on him as a coach. But those two re- recognized that Rodman needed to be treated differently and the results you got from him showed right by doing that well but you, um, you have to understand that i mean that's a, al adels understood things i mean i had my knee had gotten hurt and doing stuff i two a days for me were not and that's not good my knee's going to blow up it's going to be difficult and i mean i'm playing you know i'm playing 40 something minutes a game and, and expending a lot of energy and stuff and so a lot of times there would be practice if i felt it i said al i said can i can i just can i just you know take it easy today and so I'd go through stuff. I'd walk through things for defensive things or whatever. It wasn't like I asked not to even show up, but I just, just to take it easy on my knee. And so right. know, he understood that. And I, I think players have to understand that, it, you know, if you have one of your better players and stuff needs certain treatment, that's a little bit different than what you get. You have to be willing to accept that. Were you and Phil coaching together? And what was that league called them the, before they called it the G league? It was CBA. Is that what that early league was called? Oh, they well, they had the number only. They had yeah, they had the CBA. Uh huh. And you two, and you, you were coaching. You and Phil were you two coaching simultaneously? Like, were you? No. Okay. It didn't overlap. He coached the Albany Patroons and stuff, and I, I coached a few years there, and I coached in the other, you know, a a couple other leagues. One of them that went defunct, the World Basketball, so World Basketball. So I I remember the yeah, I remember crazy. I mean, I paid this. I mean, it's all crazy things I did. You know, I paid the salaries of the players for one week to keep it alive. Jeez. And then we kept we so we kept the team going and doing stuff, and then the league folded. I mean, I mean, I got stories about that that were just I can't even believe that I did all that bullshit. 
it's pretty unbelievable. But I'll tell you what, I mean, one of the most moving experiences with my and, and fondest memories is the team that I coached in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the global basketball deal, because I mean, right. had, it was, I had great guys. It was so much fun. I got Louis Karn II to come out and be my, uh, my assistant coach for my first game that I coached there. And we both wore it because I knew we always liked to wear sweaters and I was getting stuff from Aureus, which is a golf sweater company and you know, they gave me sweaters. And, and so I got matching sweaters for Louie and I to have to coach in the game. And it was so much fun to have them there. And then we kept the team together and we had a good team and the guys bought into what I was trying to get them to do. And then before the league folded, I mean, we were just crushing people. I mean, we were tough defensively executed well. I mean, we were winning games by 30, 40 points and just doing a great job. Had some great guys, a guy by the name of Eddie Cumbo, one of the most intense defensive players I've ever seen. I've never seen a guy draw technical fouls on guys while we were, the team was shooting free throws. <laughs> no, he would go up, the guy that he was guarding, and go up and put his nose almost nose to nose with him standing there. The guy gets so mad, they'd shove him away and get him wind up getting a technical foul. That's I mean, amazing. He was relentless. I remember if Eddie Cumbo ever hears this or anybody out there hears the show listening to it, if you know a guy by the name of Eddie Cumbo who used to play basketball today, I still remember Eddie. He's, uh, he's a he was a great guy and, and, and terrific to have on the team, but you got to have players like that. So a lot of, you know, a lot of fond memories of doing that. And then some of the other coaches stuff I did, I had Clifford Ray was my assistant coach. And so that was so much fun. We had a lot of time doing that and still have, you know, friendships from some of the people, one of the owners from the team that I wound up getting fired from in the, in the, uh, in, in the continental basketball association, the Fort Wayne Fury, uh, actually, I'm very close friends with with Jay Fry, who actually lives down here near where I am right now, and still play golf and do some with, stuff with him. And Denny Sutton was another one, and mm. was one of the owners there. We still keep in contact. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what life life is a series. And you're a lot younger. Life is a series of experiences. Mm-hmm. Some are good, some are bad, some are mm-hmm. mediocre, and you just have to deal with all of them. And and you look back and there'll be a lot of fond memories for you. There'll be a lot of times when maybe, you know, you cried over things, but that's what yeah. life is all about. Life is not just a constant thing. Life is a roller coaster ride. It is. It is. And a lot of those bad things, oftentimes in hindsight, you realize has meaning, right? Well, everything uh, in life happens for a reason. In fact, my son Scooter got me a sign that I, that I have hanging in my, my bedroom up in Colorado. And so everything in life happens for a reason. And I really, truly believe that. And I think that you'll enjoy life a lot more if you just accept the fact that some things are going to be good, some things are going to be bad in life. If the bad things happen, cry, get over it. But don't sit around wallowing in self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself because something bad happened because that's not going to change what happened. And it's just going to make the situation worse. Yeah, this is a prolonged. Move on. You have move to move on. on. Learn from the experience. And most of the time, there's a reason why it happened, even though you can't figure it out. You know, I know one thing for myself about, you know, having a divorce and everything and doing things. I know what happened and why it took so long for everything to get resolved, because had it not taken that long for me to establish the relationship that I have with my current wife, I don't think she would have ever married me because we wouldn't have developed the relationship to overcome the shock of when I asked her to marry me. Right. So, and, and you learned and you learn from those experiences, right? Well, I mean, you, well, no, if you're intelligent, you learn. If you're stupid, yeah, that's true. you don't. You know? And to me, well, to me, that is the definition of, intel- of an intelligent person, someone who actually learns from mistakes and doesn't repeat them, right? Well, you know, what, I, you. what Einstein said is the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yep, you're absolutely right. If you do it the same thing, you know, but you have to be more like Thomas Edison, right? He said, hey, I, you know, I, I'm <laughs> 
on the thousand times doing it, but I, what happened is I didn't look at it as a negative. I learned that that's a, I learned that there's a thousand ways not to do it. Right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and he tried something different each time. That is amazing. You know, Rick, uh, as you mentioned, I'm younger. Uh, I mean, relatively young. I'm not that, ask, ask any millennial. Oh, no, you're a lot old. younger. <laughs> well, Rick, you look amazing at your age. And, and, and to me, age is just a number, right? I mean, I guarantee there are people who are the same age as you, who look 20 years older than you, who could barely move. And there are people probably 20 years younger than you that you look younger than, right? I mean, age is just a number, in my opinion. A lot of it is mental. Um, so when I was, my earliest memories, right, do you, do you agree with that, Rick? I mean, am I talking out of my I, ass here? Or? No, it's absolutely right. It is just a number. It's just a matter of if you're blessed enough to be healthy. If you yeah. have your health and if you just take care of yourself and do good things to your body and don't abuse yes. your body and you work out and you eat properly, then you're going to have a much better chance of being healthy and you're yes. going to have a much better opportunity. You're going to have a much better chance of having a more enjoyable later life where you'll be in the condition where you can do things that a lot of other people can't do. Like I was out, I just played pickleball for two hours with my wife. <laughs> I, we, then we went for a bike ride and then she got me to have to go and clean out the freaking garage, which I was, oh, but uh, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life. Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, and, and so that's the thing I can do that. And actually people look at me and they laugh when I say, Hey, yeah, I'm telling you my goal in life, you got to have goals. My goal in life is to try to take as good a care of myself as I can. And hopefully, you know, God will bless me and let that happen so that I can be healthy and physical enough to be able to go to Alaska and go fly fishing when I'm a hundred mm. years old. Mm. You're right. I think, I think equally important to those things you mentioned, Rick, besides obviously taking care of yourself in terms of physical well-being, your diet, I also think stress is important and minimizing that. I, I, I see a lot of people. That's who age, I say, let things go. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, going back to this, this, this documentary is crazy and everyone's talking about it. And I, I think people want to hear your takes on this, especially my, my earliest memory, memories of basketball were the mid eighties. That's when I was a little kid. I started getting into it. Lakers uh, showtime. Lakers showtime and the Celtics and the bird Celtics, those two battling each other. And, and, and then there was Jordan, right? So there's some things in this documentary I didn't know. Like, for example, I was not, I thought when Michael Jordan broke his foot, I thought he was out for that year. I did not realize he came back at the end after secretly working out in North Carolina and then amazingly led his team with a 30 and 52 record into the playoffs and put up that six to three point game against the Celtics. I thought all that was the next year. I didn't realize that was all part of the same year. And it just really added to Jordan's lore to me. It was incredible. Um, yeah, well, he's so, an incredible player. He was an incredible player. One of a kind. Yeah, he really was one of a kind. And I love his competitive spirit. That, to me, is always what's, what's, what's most appealing. I can relate but to that. You can relate. You're absolutely right. And to me, when it comes to the all-time greats, you have to have that mentality, right? Um, no, not necessarily. I don't think everybody that, was great, that, that were great players uh, had that type of an attitude. I, don't really, I, what about, I know for a fact that they all don't. Like who? Can, can you name some names? But uh, trust okay. me. <laughs> I do. I do. That, had, not all of them had that competitive drive and that, that, like, you know, like Michael and, you know, like wanting to win and do it. That's why I used to get, I got so upset at Al McCoy, the, the announcer from the Phoenix Suns, talking about yes. that I was mad at my teammates and that I gave up. Like, what the hell? Are you out of your mind? I mean, that I'm going to go and get upset and do something and allow my team to lose the game and pout? You got to be freaking crazy to think I would ever do that. 
And, and I, I can't believe he's still around. He's still calling these games. And, and for people listening to put it in context, Rick, he accused you in, in uh, the 76 finals, correct? Um, yeah. of Or a Western Conference finals, I apologize. Yeah, in Western games, Conference finals. In game seven, he right. accused, he's accusing you of getting into a fight and allegedly, according to him, because your teammates allegedly didn't support you, that you basically just threw the game away in the second half. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's utter bullshit. And Bill Simmons plays off that, and he sometimes echoes that same thing. And it's ridiculous. I, I wish more people would realize that that is a total bullshit story. That's, well, it just shows you – well, don't even get him to know that Bill Simmons and stuff calling me a dick <laughs> in his book. I mean, he doesn't even know me. And, but to take that from a, a radio announcer who doesn't know me, who never talked to me, if you really knew me, you would realize – the chances of that happen would be like a snowball surviving in hell. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to happen. And you know I what's mean, funny is no is, way is, in the world that I would ever do something like that. And the video of that game is online right now. You know what's crazy is I actually went online and watched that game, and you do not resemble a player who gave up. If anything, you look like a player who was trying to get your teammates more involved in that game because. Because so, similar, Cyrus, that's an, that's exactly what I tried to do. So people say I didn't try to come over and do it all by myself. I tried to get us to do it the way that we were successful all season. Yes, which is playing like a team. I just saw a lot of missed shots, unfortunately. And I, I don't know if that's the thing about it is if you watch the game and do something, and you watch in the second half, I did not get the ball as much as I should have gotten the ball in the second half. Pretty simple. Yeah, that is simple. What, Rick, what are your, so what, you know, you were out of the game maybe like seven, eight years at this point, but you're obviously following it. You're, you know, you're a media personality at this point. What, what, what was the opinion and feedback from yourself and other all-time greats on the, on the bad boy Pistons? Did you respect them? Did you no. load them? What was your take on them? No, I, I didn't, I didn't respect what they did. Interesting. How come? Because you know why? Because it doesn't take talent and skill and ability and, t- you know, to, to play that way. Anybody can play that way. You're a thug. <laughs> it is crazy the NBA just let that happen back then, isn't it? 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 it was absolutely ludicrous that they allowed that to happen and didn't give severe penalties. And I just saw something you know, watching the stuff there. I mean, on the on the documentary, that that's you, you could get arrested if you did that shit out in the street. Yes. No, seriously, <laughs> it was blatant stuff that they should have been fined. They should have been suspended for some of the things that they did. And the fact that the NBA allowed that stuff to happen was absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I, I it blows my mind. What was so so part of the documentary focused on Jordan to this day. It is really crazy to me that to this day he still arbors hatred toward the Pistons. This is thirty years later, and he's still bitter about it. I, I love it personally. It just shows how much he cares. cares. Did you hear what the, the people said? Knock him down. Yes. Did yeah. Get, it, that's that's a freaking caveman mentality. I mean, that's like that's like the the Roman gladiators. That was BS. That's not the way the game was designed to be played. That was it, it was stepping over stepping over the line. It was it was way too far. They took it too far, and the fact that they could sit there and talk about it and almost talk proudly about it. Was they are to me. Let Lambeer especially has. They were is, proud. They were proud about the fact of how they did that stuff. It didn't. And to this day, these are guys talking now. It doesn't bother them that they did that. Yeah, Isaiah expresses remorse, but Lambeer does not. 
Um, but by the way, so but but it seems like well, Jordan's main gripe was the lack of sportsmanship at the end of that 1991 conference finals uh, when the Pistons decided to walk off and not shake hands. Um, Isaiah apologizes for that now. Lambier still does not. But but what was interesting to me was that until that documentary, I never knew that the Celtics three years prior to that pulled the exact same move and just walked off without shaking hands. What were, your, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, is this bad sportsmanship? Were they blowing this out of proportion? I mean, what's your take on it? No, I, I think it's bad sportsmanship. Look, at the moment that horn sounds at the end of a game, whether it's at the end of a regulation or an overtime and the game is over, what transpired on that court is in the past. Right. And so the decent thing to do and the proper way to handle yourself is to congratulate the opponents for their victory. Even if something happened and it was a horseshit call, which happens in a lot of games, that's a mm -hmm. tough thing to deal with. But that doesn't have that should have no bearing on your conduct towards the opponent. Right. I mean, that is literally what the definition of sportsmanship is, right? So I guess here's my question to you. Do the Celtics, the, do the 89 Celtics deserve the same scorn and criticism that the 91 Pistons got. Yeah, but the thing is, is they weren't, they weren't the bad boys and they didn't do all yeah. of these thuggish things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is true. That's so true. I've seen LeBron pull that sometimes too. I mean, when I, when I watched it, and had, you know, because it's been such a long time ago and I remember it happening. I, I, I mean, some of the shots they had over there and I saw, I said, oh my God, that was just ludicrous. Yeah, it's... I mean, it, it, was, is, it was so blatant and so – it was really bad. And the NBA should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, one, one clip that I thought was hilarious was uh, they, they, were, um, they were talking about uh, Jordan's game winner against Cleveland uh, in 87 in the first round that knocked the Cavaliers out. And, it was, and, and Jordan even admitted that the Cavaliers fucked up when they put Craig Elo on him instead of Ron Harper. And did you see Ron Harper's reaction to that? Yeah, when yeah, I did see Ron Harper. I, I saw the reaction to him. I remember. But here's the deal. You watch the play and do some. Craig Ely played pretty damn good defense on him. Michael just made a hell of a play. And, yeah, and I can guarantee you there's no way that Ron Harper would have stopped him from taking that shot. Can, I, can we play the Harper reaction real quick? It's only four seconds. This, is, this was Harper's reaction when the coach told him that Craig Elo is being assigned to guard Jordan instead of, of uh, Ron Harper. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Fuck this bullshit. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Even now, I, I guess I, I take joy when, when human beings recall things from 30-something years ago and they still are so emotional about it. I love it. It just shows how much you care, you know? And to me, that embodies the greatness of sports. Let me tell you something. The things you remember most and have the most impression on you are the bad things. The things yeah. you the way you want him to go. I can remember those pick and roll plays with Nate Thurman and myself against Will Chamberlain like they happened yesterday. I can't, That's I just incredible. remember them. I, you know, I remember a lot of the, the, the great things too and the fun things that you're able to do. And, but it's just amazing what sticks in your mind. But I am telling you because they almost like they almost haunt you for the rest of your life. Yes. <laughs> Especially if it did something really wrong. I mean, yeah. It's just yeah. it, 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 when I see things, I said, "Okay, that's going to bother him for the rest of his life." When I watch other sporting events, knowing full well that a guy screwed up and he did something wrong, he will be haunted with, by that for the rest of his life. It's just it's just the way it is, and it doesn't have to be in sports. 
It's just that every day in life, you, you do dumb things sometimes, or sometimes you just happen to not do the right thing, even though you tried your hardest to do it, but you're never going to forgive yourself if you didn't do it as well as you could have. And it resulted in something negative happened. And in a sporting event, it's even worse because now in a team game, you let yourself down. Yeah. I don't know you, but you let the whole team down. You left your fans down. <laughs> you leave, you know, you, you disappointed a whole lot of people. Yeah. It is crazy. How the bad things in life stick with you like that. Uh, yeah, you got to get over them though. You have to. No, you have to. Exactly. Or, or that's it. I mean, what's the point, right? Yeah. The, Jordan, the, the Jordan load management segment was interesting to me, too. How the, how the team basically refused to let Jordan play more than seven minutes per half when he came back from the foot. Uh, oh, I would have been just like that. That would have been just torture. <laughs> but, but you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy, Rick? You know how many points per game Jordan was averaging playing only 14 minutes a game? He was still putting up 23. That's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. He was still putting up 23 points a game. Well, I mean, he played it differently there because he knew he had to go ahead and take as many shots and be That's more true. aggressive because he wasn't going to be in the game very long. So he tried to get as much on the board as he could in the period of time that he was in there. But otherwise, he probably would have done, you know, because he was an unselfish player, he would have done more to help his teammates out and get them opportunities to do things. So he just became more aggressive offensively, knowing that he was going to have restricted amount of time to be able to go out and do the things he was capable of doing and he yeah, was and, capable of doing a lot of things <laughs> and you could kind of and, and i want to talk to you about jerry Krause because he's featured in this documentary a lot and and that was the minutes restriction was i believe was his edict uh to do the seven minutes per half thing um i mean w w jerry Krause. i mean in your in your opinion i you know it's it's a mixed bag with him because on one hand he clearly has the little man syndrome he's very insecure he wants credit even though I don't know how much of he deserves. But on the other hand, look, he, he's the one who promoted Phil Jackson. He's the one who wanted Tex winners in there as the assistant and to implement the triangle. He's the one who, who traded up to draft Scottie Pippen. He's the one who acquired Dennis Rodman and drafted Horace Grant. And I mean, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag. A lot of credit for what he did. He did a lot of really good things and then he just mismanaged them at you know, a point down the road. But he deserves a lot of credit for what he did. That's what you're supposed to do. Pick the right players, put the right chemistry together. And, and that's where a lot of general managers make terrible decisions. They, they pick the wrong players. They pick players who don't have the right attitude. They pick players who are not complementary to one another. They pick players who really don't know how to play the game the right way. And they get hung up on athleticism a lot of times. And a lot of teams, just look at, I mean, a lot of teams, the Warriors for many, many, many years made some of the worst freaking decisions in their draft picks imaginable. Oh. And that's why they went 13 years or something. I know after oh. I left, they went like 13 years without making the playoffs. Yeah. And Jeez. that's all about talent. And because when it comes down to team sports, we've talked about it before, three elements that means success. Who do you draft? Who do you get in free agency? Who oh. do you trade for? It's about getting the right players. And even when they would draft good players, they blow it, right? I mean, they did draft Chris Weber, well, and they trade. They, they don't let them play properly. They have a coach who has a system and forces the player to play in his system, and his system sucks for that player because yeah. he's asking him to do things that he's not that capable of doing, and they don't take advantage of his talents. It's like having, I tell people in business, it's like having a guy that's one of your best salesmen, and you stick him in the research department. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they were doing okay with like Chris Weber. And then I think in the, around that same time span and they, they drafted Latrell Sprewell with I think the 24th pick, but then they just blew. I mean, Sprewell choked his head coach. He's out. Chris Weber, they trade him after a year for Tom fucking Gugliotta. I mean, who makes that goddamn trade? 
And, and, and after that, it just, you're right. It was that 13, 14 year drought where they draft guys like Todd Fuller. They draft Joe Smith with the number one pick. I mean, it was just, oh man, that just stuff makes me want to vomit. But the, but the Jerry Krause yeah, but a thing. Lot of teams, a lot of teams did the same thing. They do, I mean, yes. If you, go down the list of, if you go down the list and really examine what teams have done over the last 20 years with their draft picks, and, and you realize that, you know, they needed to get a new general manager. <laughs> somebody that can recognize freaking talent right i mean how, how do you sorry go ahead i'm sorry that's all right it's just they i it's i don't even get me started on this because i i tell you i i say it before and i'm not mentioning these obviously there's a lot of scouts out there who wouldn't know talent if a walk up and bit them in the head <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right i don't know what the hell they're watching because i, I mean i see some of these players doing i said how can you possibly think that this guy is going to make a great pro basketball player and help a team win championships by the things that he does. Exactly right. Drives me crazy. And the Jerry Krause thing. I mean, from my pers- from what I can gather, the first two thirds of his of his tenure with the Bulls was wildly successful, but he he blew it at the end. I mean. I mean, his ego, putting his ego ahead of what's best for the team by forcing Phil Jackson out. I mean, that, that to me was insane. Inviting Tim Floyd to your daughter's wedding and not inviting Phil Jackson, insane. Telling the public and the media that Phil Jackson, who is about to win his sixth world title, is not coming back the following year. That's insane. I mean, that is insane. And his rebuilds clearly bombed. I mean, he never was successful in the rebuilds after that. It's, it's yeah, the Kraus. And his ego, his ego got in the way. You did, and that's sad. That is so sad. It, 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 to me, it's always a tragedy when ego gets in the way of greatness, you know, of great things. Yeah, well, like and it, that's one of the times where it happened with a general manager. Most of the time, it happens a lot of times, not a lot, a lot of times, not most of the time, but a, a lot of times it happens because of players. Because yeah. they threw up the chemistry. That's what happened at our team in 76. I mean, they got rid of Butch Beard. Butch Beard was an important part of our team, and most people don't even know who Butch Beard is. Butch Beard is our starting point guard. And, but Butch understood how to play the game. I, I can assure you that if Butch Beard had been on our team in game seven against the, against the Suns in 1976, okay, it would have, well, actually it would have been, yeah, 70, 76 in the final, in the finals of the Western Conference, that there's no way that I would have gone as long as I did in stretches in the second half without the ball in my hands. Because you're, you're, I'm guessing you're probably trying to pick up his responsibilities. Why did they trade him? Because the, the general manager of the team couldn't stand dealing with his wife. Are you serious? I am dead serious. That's I was, insane. When I heard about that, I was so upset. I, I said, why are you screwing with what we have? You have something that worked. We won a championship, the greatest upset in the history of the game. Why in the world would you screw around with the chemistry of this team by getting rid of your starting point guard that's uh oh that oh my god is that public knowledge or did you just reveal that right now it's, it's yeah i've talked about it before i mean okay. it's, it was ludicrous it's the worst decision that they made i mean who was the gm who was horrible this guy? decision that they made i mean even though we went out we had a heck of a year season and we played like champions and, and won more games and did well butch we would have been a better team with butch beard who was the gm who made that call Dick Vertlieb, he's no longer with us. I love Dick. He was great, competitive as could be. He used to do this stuff with the Seattle Mariners for years. 
uh, you know, just a really great guy. But it, it, seriously, his wife at the time was just a pain in the ass to him and coming in all the time. And he figured, well, we had somebody else doing it and he didn't want to deal with her. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so sad. It's like you can kind of understand it, but it just, at the same time, no way. I mean, but that's crazy. Let's talk about gambling, baby. It's the root. It's the foundation of sports. And even though there aren't that many sports right now, the folks over at betonline.ag still have plenty to entertain you with. And you can still bet on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, The Elections, The Spelling Bee. They have a $750,000 poker series. There is still fun to be had. Go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. How about okay? A couple of other uh, things to talk about since we're going long, but we're having fun talking. It's always good yeah, to- yeah. And so, for those of you who are staying with us, Warriors Twenty Four, Rick Barry, along with Cyrus Satchis, my uh, my cohort in crime here. Okay, so this th- this is to me a lot more interesting than some of the stuff we've even talked about because it has to deal directly with the Warriors. I Draymond saying okay. Well, actually, the first one I want to get to is this one is amazing. It shows you with general managers how you can get lucky. Chris Paul confirmed that the Warriors were were going to had a chance. The Warriors try to trade Steph and Clay. Well, to be him. fair, to be fair, I don't know. Chris Paul merely confirmed that the Warriors wanted to trade for him. Right. You don't uh, know this, both players. Exactly. Yeah, because Ethan Strauss came out, a reporter for the Athletic, and he came out with this new book about the Warriors. Ethan Strauss, and he's he's this he was the subject of Kevin Durant's scorn during that one press conference. Uh, Ethan Strauss claims that the Warriors and Larry Riley at this point wanted to trade Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson for Chris Paul, and Larry Riley came out. I don't even know what Larry Riley's doing this day, but I still think he's he's undeserved in term. Or, I mean, he doesn't get the, the recognition he deserves for building this dynasty, but Larry Riley came out and denied that claim. Okay. Um, and then Chris Paul. kind of nuts for me, but now I could see where maybe they were willing to go ahead and do Steph because he hadn't really established himself. He did time. not. You're right. You know? And so uh, for Chris Paul and for Steph Curry, you know, I could certainly see that. I mean, but, you know, I mean, but both of those guys. Crazy. Course, but back- just, I mean, Clay hadn't really established himself either. At all. I mean, back so, then. So that's why, that's why to me, it's, it's believable. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Because back then, I mean, look, Steph Curry, his first big contract was for $11 million a year. I mean, his ankles were shoddy and questionable. Clay Thompson had no ball handling skills, didn't play much defense early in his career. Yeah, very feasible. I mean, in fact, I would have done it. Wouldn't you? I don't know. Would you? I would have at, this, oh, I at that point. If I would have had to be around those guys to have, you know, watch them really close up and do something to totally evaluate them. Because I always I thought that Steph was a heck of a player. I mean, I really did like his ability, yeah. the things he does because he's so different. You know, again, again, I get to my anomaly. Uh, <laughs> he is. Know, I mean, guys that play the, the position different than anybody's ever played it before. I mean, Steph is an anomaly. And Clay is an anomaly for a two guard. How many other two guards do you know can do what he does without dribbling the ball? Yeah, 11 dribbles for 60 points. Yeah. Or for what, 37 and a quarter, I think. Or I don't know. It yeah, is and one of the quickest shooters ever, probably quicker than Steph even. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. so that was just an interesting thing that's, seen that's happened lately. And then 
Draymond claiming, you know, that, that, well, he said that he, along with Stephen Clay, changed the game forever. And, I, you know, I, okay, I will say this. First of all, the Warriors, the, way that, the only way the game was changed, and Draymond, I love you, and I think you've been great for the Warriors. I've always been a big supporter of yours, other than the fact that you got to learn to control yourself and not get those technicals. <laughs> and, and I'm happy that you did what you did when, I don't know if you ever heard what I had said about you know, when you got, when you got uh, KD, was to just focus on rebounding, passing, and, and defense, okay? Which you did, and, and you did a great job, and you helped them win. And, but to say that you, along with Steph and Clay, changed the game, no. What you guys did was play a brand of basketball that Steve Kerr put in, which is basically the way the game was designed to play. It's not old school. It's the right way to play the game, which is pass, move, cut, play defense, do the things to make it fun to watch and fun to play. Mm -hmm. The game was changed by Steph and Clay, And then when KD came with their ability to shoot the ball as proficiently as they did from three-point range, that's what changed the game forever. No question about it. So I know that, you know, but don't give yourself credit for doing that because you didn't shoot the ball from three-point range that great. At times you were terrific but you were a contributor to that team's success on a large scale, a very large scale. But the game was changed by the incredible ability of those guys to shoot the three-point shot because one of the, one of the prime mandates of teams when you were playing in strategies to win was you do three things. You cut back on the number of second-chance points for your opponent. You limit the number of fast-break points for your opponent. And you force the other team to beat you from the perimeter, not from the inside. Well, the Warriors not only could beat you from the outside, they could <laughs> humiliate you from the outside. That changed the game. Do you want to hear that? Do you want to hear Draymond a uh, quick clip oh, okay. on Let's him talking about that? They didn't hear it. I think I changed the game of basketball with the help of Steph Curry. You know what I'm saying? But I think Steph Curry changed the game of basketball with the help of me. Like, I think it was a, a match made in heaven. And, and then um, all of a sudden, you know, fucking Klay Thompson come in his own and become top two shooters in the world. And us three fucking changed the game of basketball forever. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with him. You, I, I see what you're saying in terms of Steph and Clay really changing things. But Draymond in, in his himself... I mean, this is a player who's probably going to make the Hall of Fame and not because of numbers. Like well, how statistics. Did he change the game? I'm sorry? How did he change the game? If you because, of the because of the fact that he is a Swiss Army knife. So, okay, so offensively. There's been a lot of players who did a lot of things. I mean, he's, he's a very unique player in what he did. He's an integral part of that team's success. No question yes. about it. I'm a huge fan of his doing it, but he did not change the game. If you look at it from an analytical standpoint, you're right. What, Analytics. What did he do? What did he do to change the game? The game has been changed because of the proficiency of shooting the three-point shot, and teams can now beat you from the perimeter. Fair enough. I I, I would say the one thing that was unique with him, then maybe maybe I'm not uh, attributing the correct labels here, is that it's very rare for a power forward like him to also be like a point guard. You know, I mean, and and no, and no, he was unique. That's why I'm saying, yeah, he was he was an integral part of the success of this team because of the way he plays the game and the elements that he brings to the game for the for his team. But he didn't change the game. No, I see okay? what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the game was changed because of this. Is why the game is different is because of the three point proficiency of players like Stephen Clay and others who have come about. The three-point shot is what changed the game, 
not the way that he's played. There's other players who did that. I mean, you know, although it was magic at the point guard, would you expect to have something? But he did amazing things. I mean, hell, for that instance, I changed the game some by me by bringing the ball up the floor as a, as a small forward, which didn't happen very often. Right. I mean, so there are other players who have done things like him, maybe not to the extent that Draymond's done as far as helping his team win, but that didn't change the game because that's just part of the game. Get it up the floor, play defense, pass the ball, do the things, play your, you know, do the things you do. But the difference is the three-point shot. No, you're right. You're right. It's it's Steph and Jordan and Jordan to me are two players that are very unique in that regard. They're anomalies. Um, and you're right. Yeah, I mean Draymond to me is is unique in the same way that Dennis Rodman was unique. They both have very unique right. skill sets. So you're not and they, saying Dennis Rodman changed the game, are you? No, no, I see what you're saying. I, I follow. Um, there's so much more Durant. I mean, I'm sorry. There's so much more Draymond Warrior stuff. I almost feel like we should save it for another episode because yeah, we've been talking for like an hour. So we've talked a lot as it is right here. We've yeah, but if you don't mind, Rick, before, before, be before we go, huh? before we go, I do have a couple more questions for you just because I, I feel like myself and many others would love your opinions on, on the history of the game, you know, and that's what The Last Dance in many ways is doing. It's introducing a lot of people to this time period that, especially the younger generation, I do love the fact that a lot of these millennials and Gen Zs they don't know Jordan. And all they know about are YouTube clips and what older folks ta- say, you know, when, when talking about his greatness. And I think that's why a lot of these younger people consider LeBron the greatest ever. And, you know, they call him and they have these debates. And this, this documentary is really opening a lot of eyes and exposing them to just this pure dominance. Um, in, my, in your opinion, Rick, were the 1996 Chicago Bulls the greatest team ever? And if not them, who do you think is? Listen, this, here's my thing. It's fun to talk about that crazy stuff, but just accept the teams for their era is the best <laughs> their era. You can't go back and go do I mean, some of those Celtics team had some of the greatest players in here, just amazing talent. The 76ers that beat us in, in, in 66 in, in the 67 finals, they were unbelievable, the talent they had in that team. I, I mean, seriously, just accept teams for who they were during their time as the greatest of their era to say that they were better than other teams, mainly because of the fact that the guys back then in my era when I played and even before him, we would be so much better if we had available to us what these players today have available to them from the standpoint of training, eating, right. doing all of these things. So as good as and great as these guys are, and they are great, the great players from the past, as great as they were, would be even greater. That's true. I would be faster, stronger, quicker, more endurance, jump higher. I'd be so much better a basketball player if I were playing today. This is true. I mean, Jordan could easily be averaging 45 a game in today's game. Uh, Well, well, only because of some of the rules and stuff and everything. But Jordan had the luxury of the more of the sophistication. I mean, not because, I mean, they had the special and the weight training and all the other. We didn't have any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Cyrus, I never lifted a weight. We didn't have anything. We didn't go into the weight room. We did nothing. You know, you played against Will Chamberlain, and, and you've seen Shaquille O'Neal up close. Which one of those two is a more dominant force? Wilt. That's amazing. I wish I saw him. Uh, that's, wow. That's Because even Jordan acknowledges Wilt. Like, because there was, there was an interview recently where a reporter asked Jordan, you know, do you consider yourself the greatest? And he goes, no. And I think we played that on our podcast, and he said no because – 
of different eras, right? And he lists will to- Because of different positions is what it comes down to. You know, I and, go on that all the time. I go nuts when I hear that. It drives me crazy. I know, but, but Jordan didn't bring up the position thing. He, he focused more on eras because he mentioned, he listed other players like Wilt. He goes, I don't know, how would I compare against Wilt? How would I compare against Jerry West? He, he, he listed a very Jerry few West names there. Compare against. I said Jerry was the best two guard until Michael came along. Yeah. But Michael ha- respects him that much that he refuses to acknowledge himself as well, being yeah, greater. But he's not the best. I mean, he's the best two guard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, LeBron's the best three. When do, you, when do you think – one interesting thing about the documentary was when Jordan first came to the Bulls. He's straight. He got drafted. And by the way, I, another thing, and I, I, wanna, I almost forgot to bring this up. People need to recognize more the greatness of um, Dean Smith, the former head coach, rest in peace, North Carolina. And then Roy Williams is the head coach there now, who was his assistant. Uh, I mean, that college basketball to me, I feel like has suffered so much from when I was younger, from when you played, to now. I used to be so much into it because players would stay, you know? Like Jordan was saying in this documentary, he was, he was going to stay a fourth year. And if Dean Smith didn't tell him to leave, he would have stayed. I miss that. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? On the college game today. Dean Smith is the only, the, only, the only person that could hold Michael under 30 was Dean Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to me that he, he opted to go for the selfless decision and push Jordan to the NBA when Jordan would have stayed a fourth year. Um, well, and, I you know, that's what a coach should do. I mean, if I, yeah. I, if I had gotten a coaching, I, I tried to get the head coaching job at the University of Miami and it was just a joke interview. But anyway, if I had gotten that job, I would have had all former NBA guys being my assistant coaches. And I would have definitely told my recruits, look, you want to learn, you want to go to the NBA, obviously. Okay. You're not going to have a better place to go than to come and be around former NBA players who are going to teach you how to play the game, the way the NBA plays a game and get you ready to do it. And who will be honest enough to tell you when you're ready to go. When did you interview for that job and why didn't you get it? Because they weren't ever serious about it. Why? I have no idea. In fact, I even stupid are they? Paul, like, the, 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 the athletic director said, look, it, please don't come up. Because somebody asked me, a writer called me, said, Rick, they're going to be getting rid of the coach. Would you be interested? I, yeah, I would. I thought about it. I said, yeah, you know, I would be interested in that. When was this? Uh, back when I was coaching in the, in, in the uh, so early 80s. Down in Fort, in, no, in uh, in, well, I was actually being on Sarasota when I was down in Florida coaching in the in one of the leagues down in over okay. there, one of the bullshit leagues. Um, <laughs> anyway, Clifford Ray was with me doing it, and I was coaching down there. And so, okay. uh, and it was before. Let me see who it was. It was the guy who used to be at Loyola went down there and coached there, and then got fired because of recruiting violations. And uh, anyway, so they're firing the coach, and so a newspaper writer asked me, I said, "Yeah, I'd be interested." And so I get a call because the pressure was put on now because, you know, Rick Barry's, you know, said he'd be interested in the job and all. And so everybody asked him, well, you know, you're going to interview, blah, blah, blah. So Paul D calls me up. We'd like to, you know, interview. You're going to come up and talk to you about the job. Hmm. And I said, well, Paul, listen, trust me. I said, if you're not really serious about this, please don't waste your time or mine. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he comes up and do it. And the first words out of his mouth when he comes there sitting down, he said, well, you know, Rick, you know, we really – feel that we need to get somebody who has previous college coaching experience. Mm. And, and so I, I wanted to say if it was, if it was younger in my days that I would, I would have said, then what the F are you doing here? 
I told you, <laughs> F in time, you know, get the F out of here. Okay? That's what I wanted to say to him, okay? But I was more diplomatic, much to people's surprise. Uh, and I said, well, that's interesting, Paul. I said, and, and, you know, and why is that? He says, well, you know, somebody who's had the experience knows about the rules and the regulations and the things to do, the, you know, the compliance. I said, well, you know, I look at it a little differently. I said, I'll give you two things, two reasons why. Number one, first of all, don't you think it would be better to have someone who doesn't know all the rules who would totally rely on your compliance officer to tell me what I could and couldn't do? Because first, of, I said, second of all, I wouldn't have to cheat to get players. I said, because the last time I checked, Bobby Knight, Gene Cady, and these are guys who were coaching at the time, you know, Jimmy yeah. Bayheim, you know, Legends. I didn't know the yes. top coaches. I said, I don't remember them playing in the NBA. I said, and the, I think that every player that's getting recruited, I think, has one goal in mind to become an NBA player. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that I would have any problem whatsoever with the staff that I would have that would be former NBA players to be able to go to these kids and tell them, if you want to become an NBA basketball player, you come play for us because we're going to play NBA style basketball and we'll get you ready to play. Yeah, that's, that, was that's my, their... that was my answer to them, but it didn't matter. They never gave, they never gave me any serious consideration. That's a shame. Same bullshit that I had one interview for the, for possibly coaching in the NBA. That was the same kind of BS that I told the guy, don't even bother coming to meet or have me meet with you. If you're not serious. And that's a shame. The guy met, he meets with me at a, at, and has, we have a little something meet at a, a lounge in an airport at a hotel in Orlando, Florida. And he's, and it wasn't for the magic and stuff. And he said, and, and we meet and he gives me this stuff and we have a serious talk. I told him because we had talked before about it, that if he had an opportunity to do it for this team and okay, well, Rick, thanks a lot. Yeah. I leave. Now it's the coach the next morning. He had already chosen his coach and yet that's he so wasted so. my freaking time to have an interview with him. And that's the only thing. And I was told that I was going to get an interview for the Warriors never got an interview. Ah. Uh. That's a and shame. The, man. the bottom line is, is that the reason is, is I think they were all because of the reputation. Oh, he'd be impossible to deal with, blah, 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 which is so bullshit. Because the thing is, is I know what it takes to win. I understand the game. I think I have a, a, an eye for talent and who can and can't play. And over the years, I was able to do it. I had two players on my team when I was coaching in Fort Wayne in the CBA that I asked the owners. I told them I wanted to trade my two all-star players. They looked at me like I was crazy. I said, oh, no, I'm serious. I said, both of these guys, I, you know, I, 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 we need to trade them. I said, I can't rely on them. They both do things that they shouldn't be doing. And I have two other players who are just, who are, I think are better players than they are, even though they didn't make the all-star team. They wouldn't trade them. Okay. So, it, and then we wind up having a revolt by the players because some of the players are doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing. And my two guys that I have that wind up getting traded wind up going to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so uh, many stories and stuff like that that it just it's just it's humorous to me. And plus the fact, if I were to go there, I would have I would have said, look, and here's the deal. For the Warriors alone, especially when I heard that, I said, look, if for publicity purposes alone, why would you not bring me in and hire me? And I'll take a one-year contract. This way. If I'm not any good and you can't control me, you don't like me and I don't do, I don't do a good job, I said, you're not stuck with a three, four or five year contract and you can get rid of me. I said, but it's to be honest with you, if I did come and take the job and the team didn't perform to the standards that I have, you wouldn't have to fire me because I would resign out of embarrassment. <laughs>
It's crazy. It's crazy. And it, it seems like it's similar to a Jerry Krause. It's just ego. Like they just did not want someone who's possibly smarter than well, them. They wouldn't be able to in. tell me who to draft. They wouldn't have been able to tell me who to yeah. play, how to play. You know, if you're going to hire me to be the coach, let me do my job. They couldn't handle the truth. That's right. Let me do my job and I'll do it. I'll do it the right way. Do you want a little twist on the you can't handle the truth? Here, check this. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is good. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> what? I'm working on my Jack Nicholson. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> my son Brent had the entire or every episode for all of the series that they had. And it really was very, very funny show. I love so, it. It was great. And George was good. I mean, they had oh. terrific characters on that show. And some of the writing was really good. It's, it's kind of fun. I, my wife hates it because she can't stand canned laughter. But uh, that, Oh, that really? Was- well, well, maybe introduce her. So the spinoff uh, to Seinfeld was Curb Your Enthusiasm. Have you ever seen that show on HBO? I, I have watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. A good friend of mine, Mark Sachs, that lives here in the, in the Bay Area. Uh, sad thing. He just lost his wife recently. But oh. anyway, he's... Yeah. Uh, he he loves that show. He absolutely loves that show. Me too. Uh, Love yeah. it. Well, the, well, well, the star of the show is one of the writers for Seinfeld. One well, of the co-creators. Yeah, Seinfeld and Larry David co-created Larry the show, David. and then and then Larry David plays himself in Kirby yeah, Enthusiasm. Plays the show. I know it's and, very- and it's so funny. And and the cool thing is the show's been on for 19 years, so he doesn't do a new season all the time. Like he, I think he took like a five year hiatus at one point because he just didn't think of anything new and he didn't want to force anything. Um, but every season is gold. It's such good content. If you ever need, uh, need to watch something, um, I, before we go, I, I wanted to point out, I was talking earlier about Jordan, um, how, you know, when we first got drafted in the, in the last dance, I thought it was fascinating how his initial impression and experience with this really downtrodden bulls team was that the entire team just did blow all the time and basically hung out with strippers and Jordan was just was clean, right? I mean, he he admitted at least early in the documentary that he just his entire focus was athletics and sports and competing. I wonder what happened, and maybe you have some insight on this. Like, when did he start getting into the gambling side of things? And 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 even in the probably documentary, after started, probably after he started making a whole lot of money and had money to gamble. <laughs> Because that's clearly his vice, right? I mean, that is while other players might, you know, like that 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 little segment he had with a uh, with Scott Burrell, calling him an alcoholic, putting him on the spot, telling his saying, "Hey, mom and dad, your son's an alcoholic." That thing was hilarious to me, by the way. Uh, but yeah, clearly Jordan's vice is gambling, and I'm always been curious how he got into that, like how that all I started. I have no idea. I mean, but uh, he's he's uh, he was an amazing player. The thing I always liked about he was always really very nice to me when I've had some requests of him. Good. In fact, did you hear one of the things I heard when I was sitting with my wife, one of the times when he did a dunk, I guess, in the last episode that we had watched, he, the voice in the background was actually me. Really? Yeah, 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 actually, you know, saying something about the dunk that he had done in the dunk. Oh, I know. I was, I kept looking for you. I was wondering if, if you're going to pop up. Oh, in no, one that, of these. that was my voice in the background when he was doing this stuff. But yeah, he was, uh, he, he was just very special. But, you know, if I asked him, in fact, I, I know I had, I had a picture of him with, you know, couple of my boys when I came it was an all-star game or something he would always take a picture or sign something if I asked him to sign something for somebody he was always very uh classy about doing in fact actually I'd have to say that I never had a real issue with any any of the guys other than trying to get Bill Russell to sign something Bill was (laughs) what he was uh or is I mean and that's his choice and I he explained to me why it wasn't doing it but I you know he'd sign some things for me occasionally but 
Um, and, and I understand his reasoning behind it. And, and, and actually, when nobody tells him everything, I actually got him a deal to go ahead and sign with Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. He got him to get paid the highest amount of money that any athlete, I think, has ever gotten for his signature and help put a deal together for him with Sam Battistone, the former owner of the Jazz. Um, so anyway, that's... Just could, you re- could you reveal why Russell wouldn't sign those things? Or is that in between because you guys? The things that happened in the way he was treated up in Boston. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is a weird, that is a weird community for a black athlete to play in. Right. Cause I mean, there is a lot of rampant racism, racism. I don't know there. why, but you know, he should be getting along perfectly up there. Cause my grandpa always told me, he said, son, he said, just remember son. He said that, uh, he said that an Irishman is just a black man turned inside out. <laughs> anyway, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, so I, I never had an issue with that. And, and, and I have had one time, and I won't mention the name of one baseball player that I thought was the biggest ass ever that I asked him to sign an autograph for a who, who? I brought to a charity golf event. But I've never had an issue with any of the guys that I've ever asked for in basketball who, you know, they were nice enough to, you know, to sign. sign Good. Who, was, who, who was the baseball player? I'm not going to say it. it doesn't okay. Matter. All right. Fair enough. Um, before we go, you know, I, I would say this is a very hard time right now in, in, uh, in human history to buy gifts, which is why if you go to cameo.com, you can literally order a personal message from Rick Barry to whoever you want. I just, just got go another to- cameo request there. In fact, I probably should go do that right after I get done doing this. There you go. I don't want to miss out on getting that back to some of the fans. And then I had a technical issue with my app to do it. And a couple of people weren't able to get these things. And I wound up having to send it to them late. And I felt really bad about it. So, uh, oh, well, yeah. What are you going to do? But you can, if you go to cameo.com, you can literally order a personalized message from Rick Barry to anyone you want. You can follow Rick Barry on all social media channels at Rick 24 Barry. And you can follow me on Twitter at dog surf roadshow. Rick, this was a pleasure. Great talking to you. Thanks, sir. Yeah, always good to talk to you. And I wish everybody all the best during this very difficult time. Fortunately, things look like they're starting to, subside a little bit and some of the restrictions are being removed which would be great for everybody and let's try to get this country back on its feet again get the economy going back to where it was prior to to something that really we didn't have total control over obviously so don't we go putting the blame on anybody at all (laughs) it was done because of the recommendation of the medical professionals (laughs) let's keep breaking (laughs) politics out of this folks (laughs) you're funny All righty. Take care. God bless everybody. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.